I titled the message, Keeping Your Vow, and some of you have never made a formal vow uh, to another person, but you've probably promised somebody some stuff before, like, I promise I'll be there tomorrow. That's a vow, uh, believe it or not. may not be considered one, but according to the definition, to solemnly promise to do a, specif a specified thing, you know, when you put your hand up and you do whatever, um, like when I had to go to court and the over the phone the judge goes raise your hand I'm like how will you know I'm on the telephone but that's okay I did do it but um, the culture that Paul is writing to is a similar culture to where we find ourselves in the 21st century in America um, so probably a little bit more like a Vegas uh, where it's just like everything all of the immorality is just out on the sidewalk and that's why people fly to the city they don't fly to Vegas for evangelism conferences generally speaking most of the country not doing that. Um, by the way, every single airline flies into Vegas, but there's only like six that fly to Tucson. So think about that. Vegas is, Vegas is pushing out. They're pumping out a lot of entertainment and immorality. Corinth was like that, and we've talked about this at length. But in our day, in 2023, vows don't seem to have the weight that they once did. These solemn promises to do a specified thing. That's why lawyers are every tenth human in, a in this country. We have contracts everywhere. You have to sign a contract for everything, anything, everything. Cell phone contract. Has anybody read the 50 pages we sign? No. Not, I mean, you can't because you're right there. There's 18 people behind you at Costco. You can't possibly read what you're signing. But they, it's unilateral. They have all of the rights, and you got to pay. And CenturyLink, I cannot stand. It's one of my number one things in life. I cannot stand talking to them. Uh, thank God we got rid of them. But their contract, somehow in there I signed, I have to pay a first month and a last month, and then when I cancel, I have to pay another last month. That's what I have figured out through CenturyLink, the contract says. Vows mean very little in our culture. And yet in the first century, divorce, which we're talking a lot about marriage today, divorce was commonplace. Not amongst Jewish people but amongst the, the city of Corinth and, generally speaking, the Roman Empire. Divorce was a, a regular thing. Some first-century writers talk about people, some people getting divorced just or married just so they could get divorced. Some, some people, these writers of the first century, say they knew of people that were married and remarried to other people 20 times, that they had been married 20 times. That's a mockery. That's an abomination to what marriage really, really is. And biblical marriage is not only under attack, but biblical marriage has been sort of maimed in, in, in society. And its name is not good in this culture. And part of it is because two-thirds of, quote, Christian marriages end in divorce. And so we understand why it gets to be like that. But in verses 10 and 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is answering another question. This, this church has written Paul and said, please answer these questions and send back your letter to us. He says, now to the married, I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart, not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So he says, Wives, don't leave your husband. One of the reasons why he says this is because some of the women 
in this specific church were leaving their husbands and saying, Paul has made a celibate life or singleness sound like such a gift. I, I feel like we would be better if we were single. So they just left their husbands. And there's a commentator that I just, I, there's so many commentators, but I haven't really used this guy much before, but this commentator, Jack Arnold, says, um, women in the church of Corinth were trying to leave their husbands so that they would, they would be more spiritual. That's, that was what they said to the, the leaders of the church who wrote this letter to Paul, being like, hey, what do, we, what do we do about this? What do we say to these women? God's perfect will is not to dissolve any marriage. Any Christian marriage should, like divorce, God hates it. So it shouldn't be like, well, we should probably just get divorced because maybe we could make, maybe we could both be better ministers apart. No, if you have married and vowed that, you need to keep that vow. He tells the story of a woman who comes to him and says, I want out of my marriage of 10 years. He says, why do you want out of your marriage? And he, she says, my husband is not a Christian. Well, he professes to be one, but he doesn't act like one. That's what she says to him. And this is a modern day guy. This isn't like a, an old, old, like first century guy. Um, he asked her, what grounds do you have for divorce? She says, incompatibility. Not immorality. We're not compatible. He says, this is not a biblical grounds for divorce. And she became defensive. She admitted she married him knowing he was not a spiritual man, but he had a good job and he was really, really good looking. And now 10 years later with three children, she was miserable. So she wanted out. Now understand something. We, we talk about this from time to time, the idea of counting the cost. If you're going to go build a house, I have a friend that was going to build a cabin on Mount Lemmon and he had budgeted X and it came in a little under double. And that is very common for Mount Lemmon right now um, because it is very expensive to get people to drive up there and build you a house that they know you don't need. It's your second house. So they don't exactly give you a great deal up there, uh, the guys that build houses up there. But he didn't know that it was going to cost him. He, he said, hey, you know, when I started, it was supposed to be this. And then when I, when I finally got my, my final plans and my approval, the guy goes, that's going to cost this. And so he had to stop. And stopping costs money because now he has to redo everything, redo all the concrete work that's there, redo all the earth work that's there, and redo the permit process. Counting the cost before you get married. Counting the cost before you get, quote, engaged. For you lead a person to believe that you're in this for the long haul. This person, this story that we're talking about, happens all the time in America. Hollywood makes a joke of it. It's sort of like a, a, a car lease. You marry somebody for like, what is it, 24 months, 36? And then what? Well, you turn them in for a younger model, right? The newest, younger model. That's what Hollywood does. And Hollywood, unfortunately, influences the rest of the country through movies and such. But part of keeping your vow is understanding the seriousness of the vow. When you swear to the Lord, I don't mean like, I swear to God, not that. But when you are saying solemnly and openly and honestly in front of a pastor and witnesses, I am in this for the long haul. That when you do that, you have to understand how serious that is. I have pastor buddies of mine that when they do premarital counseling, they try to blow up the relationship with the people. I mean, they, they just, like, whatever they can do to be like, hey, are you sure? Uh, I don't know. I, this doesn't sound good. I mean, they just, anything to prevent a future divorce or anything to pre prevent kids having their parents leave this family unit. 
because it's so brutal. God says he hates divorce. He doesn't say he hates people. He says he loves people, but he hates what it does to people, and it's so serious. But this church, they were getting some bad teaching. They're like, well, maybe we should bail out because we'll be so much better for the Lord without this tie-down because it's true. Marriage does, you do have to divide your time. You, you cannot be a person that is like only about something else. You have to spend time on your marriage. So sometimes when you see these people um, in a, a premarital setting, I've seen it many times, you can tell with the stars in their eyes that they're not hearing one word you're saying, especially if they're super, super young, which unfortunately has been the case of some of the premarital that I've done is really, really young people. You can see that they're like, oh, that would never happen to us. I remember when Shannon and I were engaged, we went to this church in Phoenix, and we hadn't really had any kind of a fight yet. And I remember uh, her saying something like, we, we, we're not going to do that. We're never going to fight. Something along those lines. And we get, this guy is preaching about doing his daughter's uh, ceremony um, and how awesome it was and all that stuff. And he's like, oh, they have stars in their eyes. And they're like, Dad, we're not going to fight. At some point in time, there's going to be conflict. It may take a while to, to come, but you will have it. But sometimes a 20 to 21-year-old couple can't see that. They can't see the times will get difficult, because they will. Um, he says, if, if somebody is going to leave to remade, remain unmarried, well, that's different. That's a very different thing. Um, I, had, I had counseled somebody a while back, uh, many years back, and they were going through what was separation that ended in divorce. And I said, hey, look, I understand what's going on, but I also believe that you need to not marry again. This was many marriages in this last divorce. And I could tell by the look on her face that she was not that was not what her intent was at all. It was a very bad situation, and there was biblical grounds for it, unfortunately, on the other the, the part of the husband. But sometimes you talk to people, and they're like, whoa, 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 don't even say it, Pastor. Don't say that word. Celibate life or singleness. Because one of the reasons why they're trying to get out of it is because they are bored or they're done or they're incompatible or whatever. These are not biblical grounds for divorce. So he says, if she does leave, let her remain unmarried. Sometimes, sometimes they come back together. Sometimes you meet people and they're like, yeah, we were married, then divorced, and now we've been back together for 20-something years. It's an awesome story. I think it's a win when that's the story. But that is the exception, not the rule. He says to the rest, verse 12, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. If you're unequally yoked, however that came to be, if you married somebody that you guys were both just like, well, we're kind of like casual Christians, and then you get married and 10 years later he's a Buddhist, and you moved toward Christ, and you come together and he's like, look, I love you no matter what. I just find this Buddha so intriguing and whatnot that I just want to pursue that, but I love you and I love the Christ in you. It's really awesome. Stay. Stay together. That's how serious the vow is. That's how serious Paul wants these, these believers and us. This letter was for a church and also for all churches. It was first written to one church. So 
if she's willing. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Huge. Unequally yoked is difficult. You should never, if you're truly a Christian, you should never missionary date. Anybody know what that means? Missionary dating? That's dating somebody with the purpose of converting them. That's what, I went to Moody Bible Institute, you have to understand. That was the, the most normal term ever, is, ooh, missionary dating, because we were supposed to all be going into church ministry of some kind. Missionaries, radio, pilots, they, they trained bush pilots uh, at that school. Um, for like these these guys that fly supplies into uh, missionaries in the just in the middle of nowhere in South America and whatnot, it's a huge deal. And they would say, "Oh, so, so you know, we're supposed to go work out in the world. We're supposed to go uh, serve in secular places." And people would be like, "Oh, are you missionary dating?" No, I'm just we're just having coffee. We're just talking. Dangerous. A couple of twenty year olds talking. Downtown Chicago. It's very romantic. Back in the nineties. Dangerous. Don't do it. Don't get your heart wrapped up with somebody who does not believe the same as you. It causes huge problems. But rarely does it cause problems when you're dating. But it will be a huge deal. However, a lot of times, somebody gets saved. Somebody in a secular couple gets saved and and has a relationship with Jesus, and their spouse is not there yet, and he says, stay. And there's, there's a very interesting verse coming up here, and I want to devote, like, the bulk to it. Um, but I just want to say a couple of things about 12 and 13 leading into verse 14, which is super crazy, uh, mis- I, I guess misunderstood in some precincts. Um, probably you're reading ahead. Um, obviously, it's not ideal, the unequally yoked, but Jesus gave one reason for divorce. Jesus didn't talk tons about this, but he also... The more someone talks about something, I feel like the more people twist it or have the ability to twist it. He just said, hey, the ideal is that a man would leave his father and mother and a, a girl would too, and they would be joined and there'd be a union and God would be in the middle of that relationship and God would bless that relationship and there'd be uh, fruit from it. Both there'd be kids and there'd be a spiritual ministry by people seeing the family dynamic under God. It is true. This happens. They lived in a climate that was similar to ours. Some commentators write that it was so that it was such a tumultuous uh, tumultuous time. It was so crazy at the time that it was the persecution was ramping up. It definitely was kind of like it is in our country. And so he's like, "Look, we live in this city. We're not farmers anymore. That this is a time where if you can handle being single." that there's a lot of ministry out there and that it's it's going to be a it's going to be an ideal choice should you have that enablement from God that's what he talked about last week and that's verse 9 of this chapter but when you are married when you enter into this vow outside of sexual immorality and and I would even say that there's there's abuse issues that um, get into something I, I don't even have time to broach but that's what Jesus said. And, and Paul does talk about one other thing at the very end of this we'll cover. Um, but that's what, Je- that's what Jesus talked about. And they said, hey, we can divorce for any reason, right? Because these guys were using the divorce decree to get out of marriages if their wife made them bad breakfast. Literally. Jewish people. So Jack Arnold says, same, same guy I quoted before, 
surely divorce is sin, and any person who has gone through a divorce has paid a horrible, painful price. But divorce is like any other sin. It can be forgiven, yet we must remember what God said. God said, I hate divorce. Guys, sometimes there's, when, when sin happens, when something happens, when, I remember when I was a kid, like, Christians didn't go to rated R movies, ever, ever, okay? And then my grandpa, who was, was very, very, I'll just say it nicely, he was very, very legalistic. That's the nicest way I can put it. He went and saw Rain Man, okay, with Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. And I was like, oh, the floodgates are open. We're allowed to see rated R movies now. I was like seven. And I think it's restricted. I think that's what R means, restricted. Not for children, but I was like, oh, if he's going to go see it, it's totally fine. Rated R movies are filthy 99.9% of the time. I would say The Passion of the Christ is the only one I can think of that's not. Rain Man is not clean, just so you know. I'm not saying go watch it. You shouldn't. However, when the Christian culture starts to do something, people go, oh, it's fine now because uh, Caleb says it's okay. Caleb is sponsoring this movie or that movie. Caleb, if you listen to Caleb 20 years back, they have moved very far left. I'm just telling you straight up. They are not where they once were. So if a, a Christian institution, whatever that is, starts moving with the tide of the culture, you got a problem. I'm not saying don't listen to Caleb. I'm not saying don't give them the 40 bucks a month that they're always asking for every day, every hour, minutely. Sorry. That's a PSA for you. Um, shouldn't be doing that. But what I'm saying is when somebody moves that way, but they say they're a Christian, sometimes Christians go, oh, well, the, the DJs are like pastors. We have to listen to them. Or, or we should um, uh, give to Caleb because they're this type of a ministry. I'm not saying don't support them. I'm not saying don't listen to their worship rock, which is what it is now. It's not pop music anymore. It's, it's all like worship stuff now. I'm saying the things that they talk about on the morning show, I was involved in the early days of radio stations that competed with them in the late 90s, early 2000s. They have moved very far left of where they used to be. This letter has never moved. This book has never moved since we started to get it in our hands. It's never moved. It will never move, period. We shouldn't be like, well, it's okay to do this because the culture's doing this. Culture's slaloming in, so it's cool to go watch the, this movie or this movie or this TV show. No. Keep your heart close to God's word. Keep what your conduct might be leading you. Well, what if we could, is it okay to do this? Take it to the word. Don't, don't get your consult from Caleb. Don't get it from liberal pastors that are uh, swearing from the pulpit and, and water sliding into the baptismal with their ponytails and their, and their leather shoes on. That's not, that's a very entertaining pastor. That's not the scriptures. I mean, the water slide, it's a little over the top. I'm not saying I wouldn't like to do it Monday through Saturday, but I don't know that we'll be doing that anytime soon here on this page. So he says, uh, Jack Arnold says, anybody that's gone through that has paid a serious price. Guys, we all know this. It's so painful. Sorry about that. It's so painful to go through that type of a severance. It's brutal when you have a job for 20 years and the company goes, sorry, you're out. That's brutal. Severance is bad. Divorce is severance. It's, it hurts. It crushes people. God's heart cries out. It's brutal. He doesn't 
He doesn't hate people. He hates what it does. And so we have to take everything super seriously. Verse 14. I'm running out of time here quickly. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. I will tell you, there are many, many, many liberties taken on this verse. This is one of those verses where I, I just, before God, I just go, God, I hope that what I'm, I mean, I did a lot of study on this verse, but I want to read you a couple of things about it. Uh, John MacArthur says, this does not refer to salvation, otherwise the spouse would not, not be spoken of as unbelieving. It's true. That's just deductive logic. The sanctification is, is matrimonial and familial, not personal or spiritual, and means that the unsaved partner is set apart for temporal blessing because the other belongs to Christ. One Christian in marriage brings grace that spills over. That's true. It's very safe commentator. I mean, John MacArthur doesn't take liberties with the scriptures at all, period. Um, I love what David Guzik said on this. He said, why should a Christian try to keep their marriage to a non-Christian together? Because God can be glorified in such a marriage. It's true. And he may do a work through the believing spouse to draw the unbelieving spouse to Christ. This idea of sanctification in this context does not mean that the believing spouse is saved yet. Just by being married to a Christian. It simply means that they are set apart for a special working in their lives by the Holy Spirit. By virtue of being so close to someone who is a Christian. Now there's a lot of responsibility there too. I like to think that the people, we talked about this in the youth Bible study Tuesday night. When Jesus fed the 5,000 those people originally came to hear him teach. They didn't come because they knew he was going to feed 10,000 plus people. That wasn't what they thought. That's what they got. And the next day they were like, hey, where is he? Let's do it again. You know, free sub. That's awesome. But those people saw something and heard something that people 5,000 miles across the globe didn't see, couldn't see, weren't up close and personal. So you are responsible for what your eyes take in, both good and bad. If you just fill it only with trash, it's going to be hard to to have a really strong walk because that's a conflict when it comes in. But this verse is, it's misunderstood on a lot of levels, but I I will just give you as simplistic, I'm a very simple person, as simplistic as possible. Some guys get into the age of accountability, those, because of the one Christian, um, the kids are automatically saved until the age of accountability. Well, I think that anyway. I just think that God is gracious with a two-year-old whose dad is in jail for murdering 25 people is God looks at him and goes, I love that kid. And a two-year-old whose dad is one, one, one parent is a Christian and one is not, same deal. That's where I come out. That's just a commentator who thinks that. I think what is special about it is you have a, a, you have a, you have a group of children, maybe they have two, three, four kids, who knows, and they watch mom be a Christian and they watch dad not be a Christian and they go, huh, there's some real power there. That's interesting. And then they see dad, and maybe his life seems just for himself, and maybe he doesn't have that grace. Maybe he doesn't have that spirit of God touch that we see in mom. 
Um, there was a story one of these commentators told, I think it was MacArthur, he said this family, um, the parents were unsaved, but the grandma was saved, and the four kids uh, got dragged to church by grandma every, every Sunday morning, and three of them came to Christ, and they, when they talked to him at his church, they're like, the only reason we're even here is because grandma brought us here to hear you. Uh, our parents would have never come to this church. There's something special about having a blood relative inside the house or that you have a strong relationship with that can bring the gospel to you often, but that you can always see it too. And that's, I believe, what, where this verse is really going is, hey, don't throw out the unbeliever influence, or excuse me, the believer influence on the unbeliever. Don't throw it out. Don't walk away from it. Just because it would be more convenient to marry that cute girl from the Corinthian church that's clearly a Christian. Don't bail out on the marriage. Verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. There's the other, a lot of commentators say the other uh, way out of, out of a marriage where the person is free to remarry. Uh, some would call it abandonment. I was abandoned by my spouse. Uh, I've heard that term before. I don't know, it's not a spiritual term, but that's what happened. They, found out I was a Christian, took off. Some people believe that's why Paul's wife left him. But Paul decided to stay single because Paul could move, rather than be remarried, Paul could move much quicker uh, as, as just a traveling uh, missionary. He could move, and he, and he had the restraint where he didn't have that, like, oh man, every time I go to the, I mean, these cities were rough, guys. There are prostitutes everywhere. So if, if that was Paul's real vice, he would have been married. He would have taken his own advice and been like, I need to have my own wife with me. I need to travel with my wife. So if they leave, you are free. So once again, Jesus didn't talk tons about these types of things. These types of things weren't necessarily active because he was talking to a Jewish audience. Jewish people, like devout Jewish poorer people, the divorce rate was super low. Now, divorce rate has leveled off in America, but because people aren't getting married anymore. It's not like, oh, good news. It's down under 66%. It's because nobody gets married anymore. Seriously, it's like it is, a, it is a really low number of marriage compared to 50 years back. Um, these kind of sample sizes, we go back to the 70s and 80s. Um, marriage was uh, everywhere, and the divorce rate was high, and it was really, really sad. So lastly, he says in verse 16, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And next week we get into the idea of like the state, your lot in life, like where you find yourself. Um, you know, obviously slavery is not a thing now, but it was a thing. Uh, it is a thing in other countries, and it's been a thing in and out of countries since the beginning. But we get into the kind of the lot in life and some of this uh, talking to different groups of people, uh, marginalized, marginalized people coming to Christ. And, and, and 1 Corinthians 7 is lengthy. It gets into lots of stuff, very awesome stuff. But just to kind of wrap it up, if you are married, if you're currently married, or you're about to be or you want to be married, you have to count the cost. If you're actively married, you have to count the cost. You have to say, lately I haven't been living the way I should be. I'm convicted. God, show me what I need to be doing. That's the appropriate heart. Um, if you are about to be, you're engaged, or you're about to pop the question, understand that marriage in a society like this one where immorality is on the rise and morality is in the basement and it's eroding quickly 
It's going to be gone soon. Like, what we see right now with technology, the last 15 years have been like the last 100 in terms of like how quickly immorality has like taken root almost everywhere. What people say in public, what they're willing to wear in public, what they're willing to do in public is crazy. Like, you almost can't even open up a news page. Like, you're like, here's a guy walking naked down the street and peeing. I saw that last week. Thank God it was blocked out. I'm like, I didn't even ask for this. It's on like KOLD. Um, what, what's going on? What's, what, people are walking down the street naked peeing. There's children in cars. Never saw that in my entire life. In 20 years of, of living in Chicago, I never saw anything like that. It's just, it's, it's, it's jacked is the only way. It's so messed up. So being married may be a great thing for somebody, and it may be like God is calling you to be like, hey, I want you to go minister in the inner city. I want you to go do this. I want you to go do that. And I, I, I'm going to enable you to do that alone. Okay. And maybe you're about to start a relationship, and maybe God is like, hey, for right now, I don't want that for you. And maybe you really, really, really want that for you, but you realize if God doesn't want you to have something, that's happened to me a lot in life, and usually it's real estate, unfortunately. Um, I want this and this and this, and I never get it. It's okay, because I realize after the fact, especially getting older and having less energy, I'm like, oh, thank God I didn't get that. But for 10 years, I, that's, I wanted this retreat center, and I never got it, and, and I realized that it's probably now a blessing, but that was tough to handle. Count the cost. If you are in one of those categories, a vow is sacred. Even if the culture says it's not. Even if the culture says, hey, you can get out of marriage for any reason. Just, just file, call a lawyer and say, hey, irre- irreconcilable differences. That's what Hollywood says. That means anything. I don't like the color she, she painted the room. I'm done. Seriously, that's enough. That's enough nowadays. Secondly, if you are married, fulfill your vow. Love your spouse as Jesus loves the church. The model for love is Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and the life of Christ. Go back to, and if you struggle with like, I don't know where to read in the morning. I don't know what God, read, I read, whenever I'm, I'm stuck, and I don't know what, where, to, I'm like, where am I going to read right now? Matthew 5. <laughs> the bar is in the toposphere. There's a lots to work on. Just trust me, read it. Fulfill your vow, love your spouse as Jesus loves the church. God is watching. God is watching everything we do, even if the culture is like, hey, there's no God, just do what you want, and then you die. That's what they're pushing. That's what they're saying. That's what schools and universities are telling our little kids, that there's nothing out there. It's just nothingness. God is watching every minute. The world is watching your marriage as well. The world is going, huh, I wonder if there's anything to those Christian marriages. I wonder if they're any different. Be a light in your home, like your relationship with the Lord in your home. It's more important than who people think you are at work. Work on those two. The work will follow. The, the Who you are out, out in the public will follow if you get those two aligned. All right, we're way over. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, just this short, quick, straight truth. And God, uh, it, it, it sometimes is, is tough for us to hear um, when we've kind of settled into believing some of the things that are out there. We've sort of uh, shifted a little bit, and uh, maybe we've kind of settled on uh, some stuff that's not okay, and we think that it's okay. But as we read your word and as we see the times that we are living in, if we, if, as we see the signs um, that, Jesus, you talked about, we realize that the, the time is short. Whether or not we live 
to see a natural death or not, time on this earth is very short. God, help us to not only draw into that relationship, but Lord, to love those around us, to love our families uh, as, as, as much as we can, just like you would love us, and just like you would love them. God, help us uh, to reach out if we need help, to not be embarrassed, to reach out and to, to be honest and to confess those things that we need to, to a good friend. Um, God, we, uh, I pray that you would just strengthen the marriages here. Uh, God, we need your help in this area, in the world that we live in. The trouble that is out there uh, is very real. And uh, God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.